Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, January 9th edition of the show. We're back. We've got a lot to talk about. This could be a spicy one. Yeah. This, the, you, this, this could be a punchy one. Yeah, you decided to really uh, text me about that, saying tomorrow's pod is going to be spicy. Put it out on in our Discord. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Let's just put that out on Twitter. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, why not? We're not we're not at all trying to just reel people into to no. listening. To, I have to... some takes. Whether they're spicy or not will really vary depending on how far you go with it. And also the fact that How Felix, far I go? What are yeah, you saying? It's how far you go because there is a well reasoned uh, opinion in there oh, that wow. that that has dropping the uh, legal terms. Okay. <laughs> We're off to a flying that, start. That has a massive caveat set at the very, very beginning that is completely, has been completely ignored by you. What did what did you call it? A perfect, not a perfectly reasonable, a well-reasoned? Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we're already off to a great start, a spicy yeah. start. We've got a lot to talk about from the last week, despite the Ducks kind of just doing what they've been doing for a little while now, which is just losing. Hey, um, they, they won... Two games this past week. That's fair. That's fair. They did. They they did they, win a, they they went two and one. Yeah, I, I guess the the game against Boston that we just saw kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. But yeah, they did win two games. Yeah, they beat the Sharks. Uh, how you feel about that may vary depending I, on how close you I, want them to get to Connor Bedard. I think that here's the funny thing: just judging by your tone and discussing what's going on with this team, I legitimately thought that they lost that game against the Sharks. Like I, I had forgotten that they won, uh, and, and 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 I think that 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 shows the cognitive dissonance that's going on with what do you between mean? Jake and this team. What do you mean? Well, I, I just think you're you're not looking at the scoreboard clearly. No, I mean I've long said I've said it from the very beginning, and, well, I, and no. I don't think that's an unreasonable approach in this season. I, at this point in time, with how this season's gone, with where the Ducks are at, the scoreboard does not matter to me. Quite frankly, whether they win or lose does not matter. Um, Honestly, with where the season's at and with how good Connor Bedard is, I mean, them losing more than them winning is going to be very beneficial at the end of the day. I think Um, I think we don't need to be too worried about this team winning, though, because they're going to (laughs) lose like 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 Pat Verbeek has avoided any moves to improve this team. Doesn't look like he's firing the coach. So I wouldn't be too worried about them winning a couple of games here and there. Like they're they're still gonna remain well on the losing track and and line up nicely for a top three pick. I just yeah for for anyone out there that's just up in arms or, or concerned that oh they're winning too much now. Uh, no, they're you saw what happened against Boston and we've seen what's happened against yeah. other and teams. It, like and the, in the San Jose game, I mean, in all situations, it was per hockey viz five point two expected goals for the Sharks. 3.9 expected goals for the Ducks. Yeah. At five on five, it was 4.7 for the San Jose Sharks, 2.9 for the Anaheim Ducks. And so that's why even though the Ducks, Ducks did win that game, that game was not a good one from a five on five perspective. The Ducks got extremely outplayed throughout that game. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but the Ducks are, I mean, let's just jump into it right now. Going into the Dallas game, uh, Dallas Aikens decided to make some massive changes to his lineup. And, yeah. And so this... The- the the big change is Mason McTavish, first line center. Yeah. With Adam mm-hmm. Henrique and Troy Terry at, at the wings. Mm-hmm. And then the change your favorite change. Oh boy. Your oh, boy. favorite change. Second line left winger Trevor Zegris with Ryan Strom at center and Frank Vetrano at right wing. Bottom six pretty much unchanged. 
And then we saw Colton White come in. I believe there was an issue with with Bolio. Actually, Bolio got sent down, didn't he? He's on a conditioning loan. Conditioning loan. That's right. Conditioning um, loan. Chad and Kirk got sick. Yeah, uh, and dur- then Chad and Kirk the came, came back, and then they went eleven seven. Which yeah, you know that, that's well, just par for the course. Also, we should mention at the at the top we're kind of all over the place a little bit right now, but um the part of the reason they probably went 11 7 was justin kirkland got in a major car accident yesterday yeah had to be taken to the hospital i think everyone's thoughts and prayers are with him um it sounds like he's under observation and should be released per the ducks uh within 24 to 48 hours if all things go well so wishing him a speeding recovery hopefully it's nothing too bad hopefully he'll be able to be back on the ice whether that's for the ducks or, or goals just him able to being able to resume life again and so Scary yeah. moments there. I, I think that's probably the reason they went 11-7 last night due to those kind of unforeseen circumstances. Um, so Yeah, it's um, terrifying, and we, we wish them the best. And, yeah, hug your loved ones, send the text, whatever you got to do, because you just never know what, what can happen. It's, yep. It's scary. Okay. So back to talking about these games, though, a little bit. So that first game was against the Stars, though, and this was a little bit of an interesting one where it was kind of – a little bit of a low event, boring game. It was um, not the most entertaining game to watch. No, let's put it, it that way. No, it was not. The um, first period was entertaining. Yes, but the Ducks were able to jump out to a two nothing lead with uh, Adam Henrique, uh, Adam Henrique being able to get a goal. Um, this kind of continued. Adam Henrique just kind of getting some weird goals. Took a tip off Yanni Hockenpah's stick, and yep. somehow found the back of the net. Um, Mason McTavish and Troy Terry end up getting assists on this goal. Um, and then Mason McTavish, this was the the beautiful one timer. Yeah. That that they were just continually trying to feed him, but they kept doing it in different we ways. We need to talk about this goal. Okay, go for it. We need to talk about this goal because I think the goal itself, the actual shot that went in, was amazing. But the setup by by Trevor Zegers, yes, I think is equally, if not more, impressive than the shot itself. I mean, it just kind of shows that when you have two elite options on either flank you have the elite passer and an elite one-timer you can you can just kind of defy the the odds a little bit and i mean this pass by trevor zegris goes through basically the entire penalty killing diamond of the dallas stars it goes through three sticks and you could even say four sticks because it gets past i believe it was esso lindell in front and mason mctavish is camped out almost drifting towards the boards and just perfectly rifles the shot home. And I mean, that kind of pass by Zegers, the vision, the ability to get it through and then the finish by McTavish. That's, that's the kind of thing that I think if you're a Ducks fan should make you really excited because these two guys are at the very beginning of their career. They've already done this a few times now. And I mean, this, this could still happen and keep happening for years to come. Yeah, exactly. And I think the interesting thing on that that play is if you watch the entire power play, they were kind of looking for Mason McTavish on that shot, but he kept going at it from different angles, which opened up different lanes on the ice. And I think with how Scott Wedgwood was playing it also, he was playing pretty aggressive on Zegers. And I think if a goalie is out at the top of his crease, which Wedgwood was at that point in time, that leaves a decent amount of uh, of the net open for Mason McTavish to hit. The issue that I think we've seen when that shot can get snuffed out by the goalie is they're playing a bit deeper and they're able to move post to post quickly. And what I would like to see in those situations is a little bit of a read from Zegers where he's able to get the puck to Terry who can then drive net the, the net because the goalie's so deep and maybe McTavish kind of crashes on the weak side to be able to get a, a shot from over there. Um, but I, I think this was a really nice job of reading what the the stars were giving to you 
and finding that feed to Mason McTavish, who was able to bury it. Yeah, I think that the difference with this goal, as opposed to maybe some of the forced attempts we've seen mm-hmm. in in recent games on that McTavish one timer, is that it's yeah. coming from it's coming from left to right. It's it's perfectly lateral from that left circle. Whereas a lot of the shots, I mean, right before this shot, although it went in, there was a one timer that was coming from Fowler to McTavish. So it's starting at the top and it's going down to the face off circle, and that that type of shot, that type of movement. It's just less challenging for the goalie to get across in that situation, and it's less challenging for the penalty killers to cover it. it it's just a less threatening shot overall, unless the shooter is like, you know, Shea Weber or Alex Ovechkin or something. At that point, you need just a crazy elite shot to overcome that. The goal with the Zegras pass is much different because that's so much more a ground to cover for the Dallas Stars and for the goaltender. So. I mean, the, the pass that Zegers made there, that's not a, like a system play. That's just Trevor Zegers is that's an elite a good passer. Read. That's a great read. Yeah, exactly. That, that's just Trevor Zegers is an elite playmaker, and there's basically nothing that anyone on the ice could do about it. Um, but the system, though, you could call it, is the fact that they decided to put these guys on opposite flanks, and they're allowing them to get to work, and they're, they're kind of mindful that this is an option they want to go to. So it's just a beautiful culmination of, Maybe the biggest thing that's gone right for the Ducks this season on a team perspective is the power play. Yeah, 100%. I think that's been the best thing so far um, for oh, this I, team. I did want to touch on a point you made, though, which is that you, know, you mentioned Terry. I do think that that's something that they're still fleshing out, which is the fact that when that McTavish option isn't clicking or isn't threatening, they just don't seem to really have a plan B. They're, yeah. you know, they, yep. I think... Terry is still trying to figure out where he can be most dangerous. And Adam Henrique, they haven't really found a way to a great way to get him shots from that bumper position. So there's still a lot of things being ironed out on the power play. But the fact that they have a fastball that they can go to, that's that's a very good starting point. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I think the one thing I'd like to see yeah, is them go to, cause I think it's such a unique look having Terry below the goal line, right? That That's yeah. not something that we see too often because it's, it's an interesting thing for defenses to cover because you might think, Oh, that's kind of taking a guy out of the play. But when it's someone like Troy Terry, that's shown an ability to drive the net, that's actually a very dangerous position to go to, but it feels like when was the last time we saw Terry really attack the net from that position? With the puck we really on the haven't. Stick. I mean, I mean, he's, he's tried it a couple times, but it just seems kind of awkward. Out yeah. There. Oh, and like, and so I'm just curious to see them kind of devise some more plays to work for that. And the thing is, when you devise more plays to work for those alternate options, then it also opens up your main option more because people can't just defend that primary option of the McTavish one timer. And so I, I think that there's a lot of interesting elements to this power play right now. I think you and I both agree. The one thing that needs to happen, and we've this is now just banging the drum for however many times stop playing the second unit the this first <laughs> unit should just play like an like a minute and a half of the power play yeah the second unit had a very brief flirtation with possibly being good and that that has gone away so yeah yep yep exactly um but i do want to add so that's really it for this game from really the ducks being able to yeah. generate significant offense john gibson had a pretty good game throughout this game. He was very good. Got yeah. a shutout. First shutout in a long time th- uh, on 3.8 expected goals against per hockey viz. But kind of going to evolving hockey's numbers. The main issue I had with this game is just at 5-on-5, five five, the Ducks were kind of 
outclassed besides their bottom lines. And that's weirdly kind of been a story of late. I mean, the only players here, here's the four players that were above 50% expected goals, four percentage um, score and venue adjusted at five on five, Justin Kirk, Kirkland, Jason Magna, Brett Leeson, Kevin Chattenkirk. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Adam and was at 46%. McTavish 43%. And then Zegers 41%. Vetrano 39%. Terry 32%. Strom 28%. So like, it's not as if they were bad necessarily in this game. They were kind of closing, but they were closer to 50% than in some other games, but they were still below 50%. And I think the one thing that I found interesting, we'll get into this a little bit more, but I mean, it negated some of Trevor Zegers's offensive offensive ability. And I think let, I'll hold on that a little bit till we yeah, get through the rest of the one. games. Um, <laughs> but uh, so after that came the game against the San Jose Sharks, which, quite frankly, even worse than the Stars game at five on five. Um, Anthony Stolarz had a. This was his first game back after being sick, and yeah. he he had a really nice game after kind of having a shaky start to it. Wasn't he hurt also? Yeah, that. Uh, in this game or pri- previously? Previously. Like, like yes, this he was, was his hurt. first game back from being hurt. That Yes, that's what I meant. Oh, you, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. This I wasn't was sure if he had also been sick. <laughs> Sorry, did I say sick? I meant hurt. I think you did say sick. Whoops. But my bad. Slip he hadn't tongue. played in, in a while. He hadn't yes. played since, I think, early December. So that's that's not that's not great for a goalie in terms of timing no. and, and consistency. No, and, and so the Ducks really were put on the back foot a little bit. They got a couple of, of good bounces go their way. Uh, Trevor Zegers got a goal in the first period. Mason McTavish followed that up with um, another uh, power play goal. Or sorry, Ryan Strom scored. Um, not a power play goal. That was 4-on-4 four four where Ryan Strom was able to score. Um, and, and so this was a little bit of a back-and-forth affair on the scoreboard. Um, but... This was one where the Ducks were kind of outclassed a bit at five on five. And you had them going uh, down to nothing, tying it 2-2 before the end of the first. Timo Meyer then scores. Mason McTavish then scores. Uh, Timo Meyer then scores again. And so the Ducks entered the third period down one goal. And this was the game where Mason McTavish was able to uh, tie up the game in the third period with a goal that originally looked like it was going to be offside. This was Mason McTavish's... Uh, yeah, he, point of you the could game. see him saying, like, it's off repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> and really quickly want to touch on that for anyone that was confused by it, right? Because I think that on first glance, it looks obviously offside because the puck enters the zone. Adam Henrique has not gotten back to touch up. And then uh, the Ducks go on to score afterwards. Seems like an obvious one. But it harkens back to the Kale McCarr play in the playoffs uh, or last playoffs where Basically, if the puck's not on your stick, you don't have possession in terms of offsides. It's no different than chipping the puck off the boards, dumping it in, and a player's in the zone, and you wait for him to touch up, and then everyone goes in once he touches up. That's exactly what happened here, where Cam Fowler enters the zone with the puck. The puck's not technically on his stick when he goes into the zone, and it gives Adam and Reek the time to touch back up before Fowler also enters the zone and touches the puck, which then makes it an onside play by the time an Anaheim duck touches the puck in the offensive zone. So it's one of those where on first glance, I thought it was going to come back, but I mean, kudos. I mean, the, the situation room, the linesmen, they always get a lot of crap from a lot of people. They took their time and they got this one. Yeah. I think a lot of the criticism honestly seems to come from people not knowing the rules. (laughs) Yes. Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of people say jokingly, like, Oh, I don't know what goalie interference is anymore. Or I don't, 
sometimes now I'm kind of wondering, did you ever know what it was? Do you do you know currently what it is? Well, the, because honestly, the rule book is there. Are obviously, situ- there are some situations here and there that are not going to be that great. That that they don't. It doesn't make sense what they end up doing. But for the most part, there's a reason why they call it a specific way. And the one thing that I will give them credit for, they've started putting out the exact portion of the rule for goaltender interference. Yeah. What they're calling. And so there was that game in Vancouver, right, earlier this season where they deemed because it was two guys going for a rebound and there's a a minor little thing within the rule that allows if there's two guys fighting, fighting for the puck on a rebound on a loose puck, they can touch the goalie. And that allowed that goal to go in and is the reason why that was allowed. And I think that that's so important because it's informing people why it's called that way, because it's not them spinning a wheel as much as people want it to uh, want to think it is. Well, the the big takeaway from this game, though, Mm -hmm. to me is, well, there's a couple of takeaways. The Ducks won in overtime. Yeah. John Klingberg, John Klingberg score. Mason McTavish got a secondary assist for a four point game. the, yeah, the, the 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 primary assist by Terry on that goal was was, was really beautiful. nice as well. The patience, and but yeah, John Klingberg also in this game. Sure, there are obviously going to be some defense defensive deficiencies. <laughs> that, that that that's just that's just part of the package. That that's part of the package. There were so many people when I when I said this that lost in the shuffle of Mason McTavish's four point game is John Klingberg having a very very solid game again, and a lot of people reply with saying, "Did you watch him in the defensive zone?" Yes. That's part of what you get. But John Klingberg, when he's at his best, sure, there's going to be mistakes in the defensive zone. One of them led to a goal against early um, in that game. But John Klingberg at his best is going to limit those chances by being able to transition the puck quickly. And that's what we've been seeing a little bit of late. And that's what we saw from Klingberg in this game. And he's become a bit more, uh, more effective of late. And I think more effective at transition, more effective at creating chances, more effective in the offensive zone of creating offense for other players also. Um, and I think it's really, really nice to see. And he scored obviously the overtime winner in this game. So, yeah, um, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't bury the lead though. Mason McTavish, yes. four points. And really, I think all of these, I mean, all these sequences have their own little thing that you can take away from them. I think the two that stand out maybe the most to me, I don't know, you can you can have your pick, but the 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 goal that he scored in the third period uh, to tie the game. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really, I mean, we've seen his shot at the NHL level in the form of a one-timer, and we've seen that really come to bear, and we've seen him being able to finally leverage that skill because he did show that in junior, but we really, we really haven't seen him use his shot just in the flow of play at five on five as much. We haven't really seen that be a a threat. And on that sequence, I mean, he gets the puck in the slot and pretty much has very little time or space and he's able to collect Mm -hmm. it and get it into a nice shooting position. He gets that setup down perfect and then he just rips it on net. And I think just the fact that he was able to position himself well to get at least a decent shot off with a little bit of screen just surprised the goaltender there. And he's able to get on the board. And I think that that's another nice point of progress for him is that his shot is also starting to shine in different yeah. contexts, not just yeah. the one-timer. Yeah, and there's been obviously talk lately of what do you watch for in these games. And I think one of them is the progress of these guys. And I think that was one from Mason McTavish. And we'll get into a little bit more of some of the on-ice numbers, but... I think this is obviously always going to be a positive thing when he's scoring goals because the biggest thing with prospects to me is 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, guys in those ranges are, they're not going to be a completely finished product where it's going to be perfect every single time they're on the ice. But what you do want to see is you want to see them um, showing you flashes, 
especially in their first couple seasons, showing you flashes of what they can be. Every shift's not going to be perfect, but if every other shift can can be great, that's a great sign. If it's a couple of shifts a game, that's still great because you're seeing what they can do. And I think that this was a flash, right, from Mason McTavish. And he showed it at various points throughout this game. And so that goal, just to, to be able to beat a goalie from a standstill is really, really impressive yeah. in the NHL, regardless if it's someone that's on the lower tier like Capo, uh, like Capo Kakinen. And um, it, it was a really, really nice shot. The other goals, I think that's the most notable play from all well, of his the, points. I, I think the, the assist on the Strom goal, uh, the, I mean, where he just circles the zone, he's protecting it on the outside, and then he rifles a backhand into the slot perfectly yes. onto Strom's stick. I, I still can't decide if he was trying to shoot that or not. Like when you, when you watch it closely, because he puts a lot of force on it, mm-hmm. but it goes so perfectly onto Strom's stick. And Mason McTavish is so skilled that I'm inclined to believe that it was it was meant to be a pass. I mean, he even looks at Strom as he's as he follows through. So that was also just an elite playmaking yeah. s- sequence there. And then the secondary assist in overtime where he wins a battle in the neutral zone and just kind of that nice little go-ahead pass. I mean, we've seen him do that before, but just you're putting all these things together and man, he is just he's just the total package right now offensively. Yeah, yep, he definitely is. Um the the goal they scored was kind of right place, right time, so not a whole lot to talk about on that. The the first goal of of the two and then made a really nice play to find Troy Terry to keep the play alive in in uh overtime and set up that goal. The other the thing though, it's similar to the Dallas game, right? Where there are these flashes of them playing better, but still at five on five underneath 50%. And some of this is an overall team issue, but yes. the only here's the top players from top to bottom on the ducks or I want to do top to bottom fully, but the top three on the ducks and expected goals, 4% Erho Vakanainen at 58%. Jason Megna, 52%. Justin Kirkland, 48%. Those are your top three. Then you have Henrique at 42, McTavish at 41, uh, kind of look listing off the other major guys. Troy Terry was only at 13% throughout the game um, at five on five. Zegras at 24.9. Strom and Vitrano both around 27. So not exactly great from all of them. McTavish and, and Henrique worked their way up a little bit. Some of that is due to the fact that this is evolving hockey's uh, five on five or even strength numbers compared to five on five. Um, so it adds a little bit for overtime, but still. Um, so overall, sure. I think the thing is McTavish is showing that he's being able to create the offense when given the chances. I think the issue that we're starting to see is that the ducks overall, their chances are being limited significantly. They're giving up more chances against when these guys are on the ice. I'm just, what I'm wondering. Okay. Sorry. Finish your your thought in a way that wasn't necessarily happening previously. Are, Are we sure about that? Like, like, Honestly, this team has been dead last or close to it in almost every five on five category the entire season. Like, what about them getting played at five on five is new to you? Uh, I think it's the teams. I think, for instance, this game specifically, it was the Sharks. But the Sharks the fact- are the Sharks are fifteenth in XGF percentage. Like, like they're much much better. Fair. Like the, the Ducks are thirty eight percent, and the Sharks are fifty one percent. I think it's more so the fact that they've. You know, I'll save this because they're they're this. Yeah, is the, there's too the, much tie-in into what we want to discuss. But yes, I just I don't know. Like this, like here's the thing. I I understand where you're coming from on this, yep. but the, the Ducks are so bad, they're not better than anyone. Like they're no, going to get I, outplayed by everyone they play. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I just and like so, the expectation to me is just gone. The, the issue is that the the guys that are 
usually when you have a team, right? And even if you're getting outplayed, you're most it's very unlikely that you're gonna have every single guy on your team getting outplayed. You're gonna find some guys that are able to generate offense for you, yeah. generate chances. I think the issue that's happening is that that's primarily Kirkland and Megna right now, <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. an issue. Like that's an issue that those are the guys that are generating the most chances and on the ice for the least amount of chances against. Um, but jumping into the final game, the Boston game, you, um, how much should we talk about this? I mean, Trevor Zegers scored. Trevor Zegers did score. Um, which is Tre- Trevor Zegers is quietly having a pretty good, uh, pretty good stretch here, ever since he was moved to the wing. Oh, we'll get. Our, our, Could this it, be it, a sign that Trevor Zegers is oh, destined man. to be a winger? Well, all kidding aside, like he's he's scoring he's scoring in in really interesting fashions, and you're seeing him get his shot off, and like that finishing ability is there. Yes, I mean the goal that he scored against Boston. Oh, now I'm seeing why Boston was so upset after that goal. Okay, <laughs> he why? basically screams at the at a Boston player after yeah, he scores. Yeah, he screams at a Boston player because the Boston player Trent Frederick caught up with an elbow. Yeah. Right before coming up the ice. Okay, okay. I, I Full disclosure, I did not watch the entirety of this game, but also Brad Marchand nutshotted at yeah. Trevor Zegers after. Basically, Fre- which is Frederick- just so typical Bruins Brad Marchand of can't take your can't take your own medicine, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's just, anyway, I don't want to belabor that point. Yeah, Z- but, Trent Frederick caught Zegers with an elbow at the Ducks blue line at the very start of all I would of pay. I would pay like a non-trivial amount of money to know what he said to him there. Who knows? But but the point is the the goal that he scored there a one timer from his strong side and you know that's a difficult shot because it's coming from the goal line he just slams it home. We've seen him finish not on one timers but on kind of quick catch and release. So I think it's also good to see from a development perspective, which we were talking about, that his his shot is still there. And you know people were kind of complaining that, and by people I mean just kind of reading comments and Twitter replies and whatnot that maybe the production was drying up for him. I mean, it's still there. And we'll talk about whether he's in the right environment in terms of five-on-five five play on, on his line, but at least you can still see the skills and you can still see that he's coming along as a player. I mean, he's got, let's see here, he's got five points in his last four games. So yeah. that's so pretty good. He's definitely producing. I think obviously we'll get into that. But kind of break down this game real quick and then we'll we'll get into our ad read and then we'll jump kind of into the main We're Sorry, topic. four points in the last five games. But overall in this game, in all situations, Boston had 3.4 expected goals. The Ducks 2.6. I mean, Boston turned it on in the third period, it felt like, and then the game was over at that point, and it almost was felt like a lot of things just did not go the Ducks' way there. I, I don't think John Gibson particularly had a very good game in this game. I, I think that first yeah. goal he let in was not great where he kind of vacates the post a little bit to try to look around. Uh, John Klingberg leaves the short side open for Pasternak to find the back of the net. Um, and so I think he played an okay game after that, but there were just moments where I think Gibson let them down a little bit. Well, it's a bummer too, because he, he played against Dallas and then he got the game off against the Sharks. So he got a nice little stretch of rest, but it's hard because you're also playing arguably the best team in the NHL and you're playing behind the worst blue line in the NHL. So it's kind of a mismatch from hell. I mean, you're facing David Pasternak who's on a tear. So I don't know. I can't. It feels a little wrong to to throw any criticism Gibson's way in a game like that. But I think you have to treat. You it can with also a level say head, that though. yeah, he didn't come through on certain plays. That's fine. Yeah, and I and I think that's kind of where this game ends up falling at. Um, but yeah, so I guess let's kind of jump into our ad read, then we'll we'll move on. So, 
Uh, three, two, one. Happy New Year from our friends over at Manscaped. The ball has officially dropped, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023. Whether you had a New Year's kiss or not, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have you covered for your much-needed uh, resolution of bringing sexy back. Join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code CTP for 20% off plus free shipping. Let us have a toast for a new year, new you, and a new you with no pubes. Uh, it's a new year. New balls with the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with the Performance Package 4.0 and other premium wet goods. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate parts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land 2023 looks to be a uh, grooming routine isn't complete without applying crop preserver and crop reviver before showing off your 2023 self. These unique formulations take care of the, the smelliest parts of your body and are a big boost to your confidence in the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. If you really want to make 2023 the year to remember, make sure to try out Manscaped's wet good as well. Uh, this includes their ultra premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, and body deodorant. These products are the absolute perfect follow-up after your New Year's gym sessions. Uh, cheers to new balls in 2023. Uh, get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CTP. Time to feel sexy and free this 2023 with Manscaped. Go check them out. Go check them out. Okay. All right. So now the 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 pièce de résistance. Let's just get into it. So, here's my take. Embrace debate. Here's the take that you say is very spicy. And it's the fact that while it's been 3 games and I have no doubt and I'm not stating cuz one of our big criticism, right, is that Dallas Akins has shuffled up lines too quickly. And that he needs to give guys time to gel and figure things out and work through things. So I'm not saying that they should go and change the lineup as a result of this because we're already seeing signs of it kind of working its way towards the positive side of things. But the line changes have not worked necessarily. From a five-on-five, on-ice, chance generation perspective, it has not worked. And last night's game actually did help out the Henrique McTavish uh, Terry line, but they still, I mean, here are the numbers so far. Over the course of three games in 43.58 minutes per evolving hockey, they've generated 2.2 expected goals for per 60 and allow 3.22 expected goals against per 60. And the other top line, right, of Frank Vetrano, Ryan Strom, and Troy Terry, they're at 2.36 expected goals for per 60 and 5.48 expected goals against per 60. These lines are allowing more chances than they are uh, against than they are for, and the especially the Strom Vetrano Zegers line is being caved in whenever they on are on the ice, and when you contrast that to the Henrique Zegers Terry line, who had been on the ice for 3.1 expected goals for per 60 and 2.95 expected goals against per 60, it's been a sharp drop 
in the offense side of things because they now don't have a line that generates over three expected goals four per 60. And they have multi, and now they have two lines that allow significantly over three expected goals against per 60. And so I think the argument would be that, well, it doesn't matter that much because they're not trying to win games necessarily. But I think the main issue that I have right now is that I think the McTavish, Terry Henrique line that has more going for it, especially after last night's game. I think that the beginning of it was a little bit underwhelming, but I think that they are starting to figure it out a little bit as they go more and more. And so I'd be curious to see that, that go more, but Trevor Zegras being shackled with Stroman Vetrano currently is just not working. And it's really limiting his ability to impact games on a consistent basis and to be in the offensive zone. And I think it's a mix of Zegras on the wing just does not work that well because he's not able to transition the puck. His creativity is actually really good in the defensive zone for this team and is a big reason why um, his lines where he's been centering are useful in the D zone. While, yes, him and Henrik swap a bit with down low coverage, when he's down low, he's able to transition the puck pretty well. Um and get it out of the zone as a result of that. Whereas when he's just a straight winger, Strom's the one down low. And we've seen Ryan Strom really just does not work well. I mean, Strom, uh, Strom Silverberg Vitrano, 4.27 expected goals against. Um, like he's just consistently has been on the ice for a lot of expected goals against. And I think that it's just not working with Vitrano and Strom together. And adding Zegers to that is just dragging him down a bit. So here's the interesting thing. The- yeah. The Toronto Strom Zegers line is actually generating more expected goals than the Henrik uh, Terry McTavish line. Correct. They are just getting absolutely caved in. Yeah, they're getting destroyed defensively, but that's nothing new. Like, Vetrano and Strom have been terrible together with whoever has been on their wing this entire season. And so I don't really know if... Like, the criticism of that line isn't the fact that Trevor Zegers is on it. It's the fact that you have Vetrano and Strom still together, and you still have Ryan Strom at well, center. That's I mean, the Zegers, biggest offensive ability are still dropping down from 3.1 is what he was generating with Henrik and Terry down to 2.3. So that's about 0.7 per 60 minutes of ice time. Yeah, I mean, that's an issue, but I just, first off, we have to throw in the caveat or the Small disclaimer. Small sample size. It's three, I almost said, I almost swore. It's three games. Like Agreed, agreed. I and just, I started that I, I just the think the, the hand-wringing over this is out of control, purely out okay. of control. Okay. Because it's three games, and, I mean, you saw the, the, third, the third game in which the McTavish line was together, they looked a lot better. They had better numbers. And McTavish has been productive during that span. I just, I think that where the Ducks are at with this season being lost from a competitive standpoint, messing around with the lines, trying different things, giving it a little bit of time, shockingly more than two games which is hey i never said you you were ready to hit the nuke button after two games did i did i I? have text messages that i can i can bring to bring to light if need be i'm pretty sure i said that they should not uh they should not change the lines if this is the plan to let them go your tone your tone told a far different story oh so so now you're just making my tone up instead of just reading the words the whole point is that it hasn't been enough time for me to just completely throw these lines out. I, I would like to throw out Ryan Strom at center. I wish that it was Zegras at center with Strom and Vitron on the wings, but that just doesn't seem to be uh, possible with Dallas Aikens in charge. That being said, though, I, I think that getting Zegras on the wing 
getting him just a look there isn't this it's not a death knell. I would prefer him to be playing at his natural position. I don't think this is going to last because I think ultimately Trevor Zegers is a center on this team. I just like I, I think that now we can kind of broaden this out a little bit. I should just quickly add that I think McTavish on the first line with Henrique and Terry makes perfect sense. No, it's, ex- I, it's exciting to see. I think it's going to come around. I'm willing to give that time. McTavish is looking great. And I mean, he's been able to have decent-ish possession numbers on lines with far inferior line mates. So I think put him between the two best five-on-five wingers on this team, all due respect to the others, and that should that that should work itself yeah. out over time. Let me jump in with this real quick before like you like begin. why wouldn't that work is my question. No, and that's why I said it should be given more time. I'm not disagreeing. You were ready with that. to just throw that out, throw the okay. baby out the bathwater. Two or, games, or am I just simply making an observation based upon? But here's the what's thing: you don't so just far. make observations. I do. Observations I do. are always they always have an, a tag on. They they no. always have an additional little but, little but something. Here's what I would have done instead of this, and this happened right away. Right, this was not even from that Stars game. This is before the Stars game when the lineup came out. I think if you're going to throw Zegers on wing, I think it makes a whole lot more sense to put him with McTavish and Terry and have that be the line. Put Henrique with Vitrano and Strom if you're going to want to do that. And then that gives you a little bit of a different look. It puts Zegers in a more dynamic position. And if you're, I mean, if you're worried about kind of defensive zone coverage, that's kind of what they've made Mason McTavish's calling card so far is that type of play. So I think that this frees up Zegers a little bit more to, to get in the offensive zone. It keeps the offensive dynamic duo of Zegers and Terry on the ice together. And it adds Mason McTavish at the center there. And I think it's a much more unique look and something that could also be really beneficial to this team long-term to do that. And so I think that that is what I'm struggling with here is that I would I think there's just a better way if you want to go about this and have McTavish with Terry. I think having Zegers there makes a whole lot more sense. Well, here's the thing: yeah, the the Ducks have to find a way to make things work with Ryan Strom. He's he's got four more years in his contract. Like, and I think I think if they got Ryan Strom to work with Adam and Reek, that's at least something for next season, also. Yeah, but I think that it's it makes more sense to try to find out if you can make that work with Trevor Zegers. The issue is that they're not doing it with Trevor Zegras in his natural position. The Correct. bigger issue is that they still see Ryan Strom as this kind of locked-in center, despite the fact that there's overwhelming evidence at this point that Ryan Strom either doesn't work with Frank Vitrano or just doesn't work, period, at center. But that, for me, I like the concept of Trevor Zegras with Frank Vitrano at his wing because I think Vitrano is a nice complementary piece. And I think Strom can kind of fit into that mix somewhere. But Zegers has to be the one driving the offense. He has to be kind of in the middle of things. And we've seen it in his shifts on that line that he's still getting to the middle of the ice. And he's making a lot of plays from the middle. So having him on the wing isn't like, it's not completely negating him. But I just, I don't like this narrative that we're getting that, oh, now that he's on the wing, he can be free. Yeah. Despite the fact that at center, he's been... He's been the Ducks' best center this season by by a massive margin, well, and w- yeah. which low bar, but he's he's been that. So well, I also think if you're just gonna do put a, put him at the wing and use that, I think putting him with someone like a Mason McTavish makes a whole lot more sense, right? These are two these are two guys that are the top end picks for this Ducks team. You have the the knowledge that Zegers and Terry work together, and so seeing if Mason McTavish can also fit into that puzzle. 
that's a very interesting thing long term for this team. I kind of makes- like splitting them up personally because I just think having your three best players in the same line, like trying to find a way to see if you can space that out just just a touch, just having one guy on another different line is just well, not a big issue for me. If that's the case, then how about this? Because we here's where I'm at with this most mostly is we know Zegers and Terry works. And maybe that's an argument for doing this because you know it works and the results yeah, don't matter. You can go like back to that at any time. But I would like to see Comtois given a little bit more runway with Zegers and Terry because... <laughs> wow. No. Did, did not expect that name to come up in this. Because look at the numbers. Over 42 uh, minutes for that line being together, they generate the most offense or some of the most offense that this team has had all season at 3.31 expected goals for per 60 and only 3.1 expected goals against yeah. per 60. And then try Adam and Reek with Mason McTavish and... This would require them to put Ryan Strom on the wing. I mean, that's the elephant in the room with all of this is that they just are not willing to do that. But it, Adam Henrique, Mason McTavish, and Ryan Strom, that works. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, I'm good with that. I yeah. I am fine with that. I Again, I'd want to make it clear that I don't love what they've done here. Like, it's not what I would have done. I don't think it's optimal. But I think it's not – like, you, you can – you can make arguments for it that I think are not crazy. Yeah. I, I just, I do think though that the thing I, I can't get over and I think is a big issue is just this, this hanging on to the notion of Ryan Strom as a, as a second line center. Like he just hasn't been that this season. And it's really concerning because there, I mean, he's on board for four more years. I don't think he's got any trade value unless you, ha- he's probably a negative value asset on it. Quite honestly, um, maybe a contender wants him. I don't know, but he's not a guy you can move. So you, you just have to find a way to make that work. And I just think the ducks need to realize that, Hey, it's okay to just take him off center. And if that, if that's what's optimizing your investment, then so be it at the end of the day, that's, what's most important is getting the most out of him. It doesn't matter how you get there. Would you like to address, uh, one, uh, con or one Connor? So I think the natural kind of offshoot of this situation are, are we gonna are we gonna address the situation? We can address it. I Do I mean I'm I, I'm 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 secure in my stance on this. Okay. I'm, for those I'm, of you that don't know, Connor of uh, Late Arrivals has decided to uh, create a line in the sand. He's he's seeking to divide and not unite, and causing division amongst amongst Dunks, Ducks fans. And I'm here to I'm here to unite once more. And okay. yeah, I think to Geralt's point here in our chat you know why can't Strom play third line center i mean yeah why not have zegris mctavish as your one two Strom third line right i mean there's ways to make this work where Strom is still a center just with less responsibility i mean you could do what i just had said right comtois zegris terry henrique mctavish and whoever yeah whoever you want to have on call up someone like it just doesn't matter yeah call up someone call up a a jacob pro call up a Braden tracy give him a run on that line and that's where and that's where part of me does kind of start to take a little issue with pat verbeek because i feel like these issues are pretty obvious and he's just not doing anything about them and it just doesn't seem like anyone is in aiken's ear about any like the only thing that i to my eye the only thing i can tell that doesn't seem like an Aiken's choice that's worked out this season is the power play. Like, I, I just don't think that that came from Aiken's. I feel like that was a bit of an organizational shift. Maybe it was from Aiken's, but other than that, all these decisions to me seem to be coming from Aiken's alone. And that's troubling because I can, I just can't imagine Pavar is looking at this lineup and thinking that like, this is the most optimal way to use these guys. 
Maybe it, maybe in his head, like this is all fine. But if the, if that's the case, that's a little troubling. Yeah. So yeah. and I mean, people are trying to say, well, it's because the Ducks are trying to lose these games. No, Dallas I mean, Akins is not trying to lose. Pat Verbeek, that might be the reason why Verbeek's not calling up Tracy at this well, point in time. Well, I think I think the reason Pat Verbeek, I wasn't gonna go there, but I think the reason why Pat Verbeek isn't, you know, claiming a Jacob Verana or claiming Ellie Tolvanen or doing anything to improve this roster is because of that. Yeah, that's possible. Although that, that, I would I would argue that it might not be because I don't think. Paverbeek is under any illusion that getting a, a Verana or whoever is going to magically make this team great or, or take them out of the Bedard running. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, there so, is of course the, the the fact that Strom's making a bunch of money. But anyway, to the to the division though. Yes. To to the great debate, I think that because of seeing McTavish, you know, get bumped up to first line, have all this success immediately, kind of be embraced in a way by his coach that we just haven't seen. Dallas Higgins embraced Trevor Zegers and seeing Zegers be the one to get bumped down, not only bumped down, but get moved to a different position. Mm-hmm. I think people are kind of taking that as to mean, and maybe even to reinforce their own biases that, Hey, Mason McTavish is the more complete player. He's the better player. This was always kind of Zegers's fate, you know, to be a winger and, and to, to be not have much responsibility in a two way sense on the ice and I just don't really see that. I think that Mason McTavish is great. I think that he was worthy of a, of a third round of a third overall Agreed. Se- selection. I think Agreed. that he like this is a great spot for him. He's done everything you could you could want. And I think yep. Dallas Aikens even said this. He's an example of of kind of how you work your way up. But that shouldn't take anything away from from Trevor Zegers. I mean, Trevor Zegers maybe he'll end up not being as dynamic or as impactful as Mason McTavish, but. He's still having a fantastic season in his own right. And by the numbers, he's he's been better than Mason McTavish anyway. So I just, I don't want people to to start making this a McTavish versus Egress thing because I think that they're both very good. And they're they both, both good in different ways also. They're, they're, they're completely different players. They have different impacts on the game. But let's, let's, let's not make this a kind of, let's not pit these guys against each other in the, in the court of public opinion. It's just not worth it. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So, all right. Want to jump into questions? Well, I also just want to point out that, like, it, it's fine to, to compare these two players and say, oh, you know, one's doing better than the other or, or whatever. But I just don't like when people are bagging on Zegers because McTavish is doing well. Like, that. if you want to criticize Zegers, fine, go ahead. But just don't don't use his teammate against him, basically. And now Connor's hiding in our Twitch chat around the fact that it's all a bit. That's what they all say. That's a little cowardly. Like yeah. you should dub- you should double down. Just double own up to it. Double down on the take. Yeah. Yeah, go check him out. I guarantee Connor's probably going to have a response whenever late arrivals is the next podcast probably tomorrow. So go listen to that. Uh let's see. Uh we got a couple of questions. Anything else before we jump into these? Uh well, I mean John Gibson got a shutout and yeah. I think we need to give him some more flowers there. But I thought we did give him flowers. Yeah, we, we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but okay. he's 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 had some good moments of late. Yep. Uh, all right. So we're going to get questions. We're going to go to Discord first. Then we're going to go to our Twitter questions. Then we'll answer everything from Twitch and YouTube to close this thing out. So we just had a couple in our Discord, but Shaken Wings asked, uh, the Ducks played Zegers as a second line winger against Boston. Is this just to switch stuff up? Or do you think the Ducks don't project Zegers as a number one center or two when we get Bedard? Well, I, I still believe that they see him as a center long-term. 
But it does beg the question because Strom is going to be around. And hey, if they get a center at the draft who's going to factor into the top nine, it does beg the question what how they see him. Like I, I think having the opinion that maybe they don't is is gaining a little steam as of late. Well, it's definitely interesting that McTavish starts the season on the wing and works his way to center, and they're doing the opposite <laughs> with Seagrass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're on divergent paths. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shaker Wings also asked, "Do you think the Ducks go after David Pasternak or another big free agent?" I, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't want to say that Paverbeek is gun shy because he's definitely done important things, but that just doesn't seem to be like given how bad this team has been this season. I can't see him going out and getting a big name like that. If they get Connor Bedard. I could see it. Man, Bedard, Pasternak. That would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, we'll the see. Ducks, I, the Ducks I might think, make the playoffs with that. I think it's unlikely. I think Pasternak may be looking for a team that is a little uh, yeah. more likely to be in the running so are, odd are team, actually in the rebuild. Are we sure he's not going back to Boston? There, he's a UFA, and basically, there's been a lot of things coming out that basically they're at a complete standstill. Mm, okay. So he's. I mean, he very. It could just all be posturing, and he signs an extension, right? Po- posturing. Wow. See what I did there? That was okay. that was bad. Uh, 91 Pluty, Connor in our Discord said, as I sit here on this cloudy Monday morning in January 2023, <laughs> a number of thoughts and inquiries run across my mind. However, the most notable and said thoughts be, uh, be the following. Am I truly being divisive or am I simply doing my due diligence in making sure that prospects other than the one they call Z are getting their well-earned flowers as well? Socrates once wrote, both players can be good while one player can be slightly better. With that in mind, I ask if I will re- be receiving any apologies in the next fortnight from Jake Rudolph and Felix Sicard. Slandering my good name in hopes of p- pushing false division should b- bring a plague upon thee. Austin316, hashtag justice for Plutie, hashtag the writings on the wall, hashtag trade Fowler, hashtag Lou drink some coffee. I don't even know. I, I can't even tell you what that question actually was asking. Uh, I, I really just, quickly. I, I got I got lost. In I'm going to use salad. that to just shine light on another prospect. On 32 Thoughts, by the way, Jeff Merrick just dropped the nugget when talking about the, okay. the Olin Zelliger trade. I'm pushing back on that nugget. Once Why? you drop it. Once you, Why? once you drop the nugget. Why are you pushing back? Drop your nugget. So it was the fact that basically... So first off, Olin Zelliger was traded to Kamloops in a just ridiculous topsy-turvy package and so they were yeah. discussing that and they just said he's a fitness nut and all these things. Package. He, i don't know he tracks everything and they said that the, a lot of teams will ask players about how many calories they they eat in the day just to see calories in all the different kinds of stuff and most guys just kind of give them a rough range they don't really know they don't track that hard um and then basically Zellweger was on it and said, I eat 5,700 to 5,800 Oh, he said that? Yes. I thought Jeff Merrick was just saying that he heard that or something. No. Well, he heard that that's what Zellweger told him. Oh, okay. Then I still don't believe it. Dude, 5,700 calories? Yeah. Do you realize how how much food that is? Did you see the YouTube, the video of of Team Canada saying he's always eating? Sure, but like 5,700 calories. I know. Like like 4,000, I could believe, like a crazy bulking diet. Like three thousand something. This is a guy that's an athlete that's trying to put on muscle. Almost six thousand calories. Yeah, there's just no way in hell. So that was going to be the pushback. Average bulking diet athlete. 
Yeah. No, it, it that I'm is Googling what was this. that is what was said by There's Jeff Merrick. There's just no way in hell like uh, Jeff Merrick is wrong. Like I'm I love Jeff Merrick, but like this is I'm calling complete BS on this until I see until I literally see his fitness tracker and his being Owen Zellweger's. I mean, there showing was, this I number. randomly had I'm for whatever reason this tweet picked up a lot of traction today. You're spreading misinformation. I'm flagging your tweet. Or or am I just quoting exactly or, or what I guess, it was? I guess that doesn't matter on Twitter anymore anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, there you go. No one's <laughs> going to care about my flag. <laughs> oh, uh, no. There's no way. I mean, this, if true, this, if true, I'll, I'll, I'll entertain the, th- the This guy's a studio host for the Seattle Kraken's audio team, and he said he used to work in, in Everett. He's like, he remembers seeing Zellweger on, the, on the, the road, routinely still eating pregame lunch 20 minutes after everybody had left. If true, well, yes, of course, but like that, the number is the issue, not like the, the behavior. I, I fully believe, but uh, if true, that's insane. Like that is just actually bad shit. Yeah. How many it, calories does the Rock eat in a day? Although I don't know then, if the Rock is a great example. He's on steroids, but yeah, the Rock says he eats between six thousand and eight thousand calories per day, which I don't. Eight thousand is a lot, but the the Rock is eating six thousand calories. And The Rock is much, much bigger than Olin Zellweger. Like, there's just no way he's eating that much. I feel like Zellweger is probably continually working out in ways that The Rock is not. So, and he's I don't a know. 19- have you seen Andy's The Rock? A 19- regardless. Have you seen The Rocks lately? Regardless. Uh, looks like uh, Pavel Minchukov was traded to Ottawa. So, yeah. also being traded. And uh, uh, Sasha Pasajov to Sarnia, I believe. Yeah. But um, so I mean, hey, maybe I'm wrong about this, but that is just a batch. Regardless, to me. what's the knock on Olin Zellweger? There's two big knocks. Well, you can defensive, tell what, what, you can tell what he's pushing back on: defensive zone coverage and size. And I don't care if you're five ten or six two. If you are eating that much and bulking that much, you're going to be a tank and can't be moved when you have the I, puck. I really want to find out what he eats in a day, and then do one of those like I ate Olin Zellweger's God. diet for a day. And, like, there's no way that, like, I guarantee you he has a nutritionist or something. So it's not going to be, like, a dirty bulk either. This is, like, probably relatively clean. Just chicken and rice. Chicken fish, and rice. Fish veggies. and potatoes. Yeah. Like, this is probably. Like four an, protein shakes. Insane. The amount. One of those bulking shakes. Well, like, well, you heard Michael Phelps' diet, right? It was like. Like, when he was training. It's like 10,000 calories in a day. Wow. Which is just. Yeah. Keep in mind, though, that, like. I don't not saying this for Zellweger, but a lot of these athletes are not. It's not all just you know diet. Like there, there's other things that are helping them perform. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Wow! Uh, Really quick, by the way, Kamloops is hosting the the Memorial Cup, so Zellweger automatically has a chance at the CHL Championship this year because they're hosting. And this means also that he will not play any games for the Ducks this year. He will not play any games for the Goals because the Memorial Cup goes into June. There you go. So. Uh, and let's see, Lewis X 209. We're still in discord questions. Uh, said uh, question for Felix. What was it like growing up in Atlanta? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so it was great. It was great. I am the Georgia native. Felix did not grow up in Atlanta. This I is created a bit this bit was in our discord. I created this bit just to pretend that I was interested in the, uh, college football match. That was tonight. Yeah. Uh, and Hey, Odiflo said question for Felix. What are your thoughts on the Jericho Appreciation Society's recent invasion of PWG's Battle of Los Angeles? Don't care. Next. It was insane. Jericho's first indie since like the mid-90s. Crazy. Um, All right. So now we're going to go to Twitter. Uh, Let me get that up really quickly. We actually got a decent amount of questions on Twitter. 
Um, so got this from Tony. Our good friend Tony said, uh, question for the pod. With Ivan Proval's name being out there, does he make any sense for the Ducks? At one point, he was uh, looking like a top pair guy and may not be as costly uh, as costly of an asset wise or asset as Jacob Chikrin, though he does have a higher AAV. Oh, we're talking Provorov? Yes. So, uh, yeah, I heard his name today on the on the 32 Thoughts podcast, which I feel like I haven't listened to in ages before today. But he's got two years left, 6.75 million. He is 25 years old, so he's not, you know, the age range I think is, is adequate. The bigger, I mean, I think the picture, just from that perspective, when you look at age and contract, is not really unreasonable. I think the bigger issue is that Provorov just hasn't been great in a while. Like, I don't know what it would take to get him with that term, but he's just been nothing special this season. And I just, I wonder what, like, what Philly would be asking for in return. But his numbers just the last three years and even the last four years are just kind of nothing special. I mean, at best, he's been kind of just okay. Maybe a little bit better than that. So I don't know if Anaheim is the place in the current environment where he's going to turn that around. Uh, yeah. And then Aaron Carr said for the pod tinfoil hat time. It's often said teams don't tank GMs and owners do knowing that did Verbeek keep Aikens this year, knowing that he'd get the least potential out of this team and keep them in the Bedard sweepstakes without having to strip the team, uh, the way Chicago has. Uh, I, I personally believe that the Aikens renewal or not renewal, but option pickup was more of a make good because of, what Makins may have had to endure under Bob Murray. I think it was a bit of, I think that's part of it. Like part of that, part of it. I think that what was, what Aaron brought up, it's, I don't think it's the whole truth, but it it could be part of it. Right. Where he understands that he kind of worst, best case scenario. He understands he has an NHL coach that he can keep and that he likes worst case scenario is that. And it also helps out and you get Connor Bedard at the end of it. Uh, Yeah. I, I don't know why I just saw a picture of of a big someone wearing a big hat. You know those big hats. Yes. That, and I I think I'm now on board with this trend because it's just so stupid. Like it's yeah. so ridiculous that it, I'm, I'm yeah. on board. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Matt in the hat said uh, could be a spicy take, but if the Ducks do end up with the coveted number one overall, would you even entertain trading down for the two or no. three in a in, no. a in a line A deal with Columbus? No, 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 not in a line A deal. Can we stop? Like no more line A. No more. Like I never want to hear line A's name on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so let's get to to Twitch and YouTube. So for those of you listening on your favorite podcast, <laughs> should I wear services, a big hat on the podcast? You should. Uh, <laughs> for those of you listening to this, we go live, and whether it's a Monday or Tuesday, depending on the games uh but typically monday at 7 p.m at twitch.tv slash crash and youtube.com slash crash where you can watch us live interact with us live please if you're on youtube watch us there subscribe to our channel like our videos comment everything like that it really helps out a bunch we're trying to really get a push on subscribers uh and then for those of you on twitch if you have amazon prime you get one free twitch twitch prime gaming sub each and every month and it does help more than you can imagine so i'm gonna start with this one yigzi uh, said, any quick thoughts on upcoming Terry Zegras Comtois contracts? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't have any worries about Zegras and Terry. I think they'll be ducks for a long, long time. Comtois, maybe a different story. Trade rumors last year hasn't really been a great year for him, at least just kind of overall. But I still would bet on him uh, coming back on an on another contract. Uh, Comtois? I don't yes. know. 
I finally figured out who makes these big hats, by the way. Continue. Okay. I, I don't know if Comtois is back. I think he may just not get qualified, to be honest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you're glossing over that because you're so excited. These hats are $75. Yeah, buy one. I'm not spending $75 on a ridiculous hat that I will only wear on this podcast, ironically. Also, Nog- I just wait. I, are they are these the, they these Noggin I, Boss? I love the name of the company, Noggin Boss. Wait, wait, wait. Can we make a Crash the Pond one? Oh, okay. If we if we make a Crash the Pond one, I will wear one. Customization. You can do a patch. Yeah, but what is it going to be like? Two hundred dollars. Uh, let's see. Ah, crap. It's one of the random patches that they have. Oh, that's not fun. Uh, full custom is fifty dollars. Wait, oh, so that's 50 wait, on wait, top wait. of the 75. A $50 charge is per art request. You may adjust cart quantity. Uh, yeah, I have all of our stuff. Let's see. If anyone wants to, let us know if you would buy a Noggin Boss, a Crash the Pond Noggin Boss. I just can't believe people actually buy this stuff and wear it. Like, How like, funny would it be if we had these before we have regular hats? They were on Shark Tank. Oh, let man. us know if you would wear a, a Crash the Pond big hat. I just can't believe this has become a thing. Like, it looks so stupid. Let us know, because I think we would have to order 10 or something like that. Oh, my God. Uh, That's preposterous. Uh, okay. No one wants to hear this. <laughs> Mark Jaraba said, uh, question, does the 11-7 method show how weak this team is currently bid and all, built? And also, are we the only team who uses this on a regular basis? That I don't know, because I don't really pay attention to other teams lineups uh, there are other teams that use it i know tampa has used it in the past i think pittsburgh did well, yeah, other teams use it the question is just regularly yeah and, regularly and, i'm not sure yeah and does it show the weakness i mean there's been some injuries and, and some situations but i think the weakness is behind the bench that's why it keeps happening yep i i would agree with that completely um let's see fat Geralt said this is gonna be a fun one where does Ilya Brizgalov rank in the Ducks' Ooh. best goalies of all time? That is a great question because I've been on a bit of a goalie history kick lately. Um, is this what's led to you bringing up uh, Marty Berdur? Yeah, or I don't know. Someone said in our chat something that set me off the other day. And anyway, I just want to say that Terry Sawchuk doesn't get enough love. But Ilya Brizgalov, where would he rank? Well, first off, who is the best Ducks goalie of all time? I guess uh, is, is the question. Uh, that, is it John Gibson? It's probably Jaguar. Oh, you went. Jaguar has a Jaguar has a better save percentage. You went that route. Jaguar has a nine career nine fourteen. John Gibson has a career nine thirteen. You can make the argument maybe Jonas Hiller career nine sixteen save percentage. Mm. I I think the more games played for Jaguar, um, the cup wow. win things like that. I, I think so that would. You're you're thinking like best career not necessarily best goalie yeah well i will say that jaguar was more consistent than than john gibson because john gibson is just you know has been really really good or really kind of below average for a few years yeah so. you know what's wild mm-hmm. Ilya brisgalov just like feels like he was a duck for a long time it was not that long ryan miller was a duck for longer than brisgalov was yeah well, it's funny, though, that John Gibson is a 913 save percentage, given that he's had four straight seasons of, like, 904 or something like that. Yeah. Like, that's how good he was for that short period of that, those that three-year stretch. 
Um, Connor is very mad in our Twitch chat, as is Hardcore Luchador, that no, how I, is Jaguar not the all-time franchise goaltender? I think he is, like, on accolades and, and career and all that. I think Gibson, like, on talent, is the best goalie they've had. And that may be a controversial, spicy, punchy take. You you want you want my spicy take? Who? The goalie that had the best peak for the Ducks was Jonas Hiller. Jonas Hiller at his peak was was unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that in the 2011-2012 season he started 72 games. That is yeah. actually insane. Yeah. I feel like Jonas Hiller is going to be the lost man of Ducks history for goaltenders. I think people are going to remember Jair. People are going to remember Gibson. Well, I just, people are going to remember Bear. People aren't going to remember Hiller, I think. And he started. No, I actually disagree with that. I think people are forgetting Frederick Anderson more than they're forgetting Jonas Hiller. Because I feel like Anderson played only 125 games. That's what I'm. But but in that 125 games, though, he he has the highest save percentage in franchise history. He was in playoff runs. Like won a Jennings Trophy. <laughs> no, I I don't disagree. I just think that, yeah. that the amount of games. I mean, Hiller played three I, I, times. I think the Frederick of Anderson game. was just very good and very consistent for the Ducks. I think people are going to remember Anderson because of the playoff runs, also. The forever question will be, did the Ducks keep the wrong goalie? That will uh, always be the question. No, they made the right decision to keep Gibson. I think I think so, too. I think yeah, that the like, team has failed Gibson more than vice versa. Yeah, 100%. But As per Kevin Woodley. Jonas Hiller at his peak, best goalie in Doc Sester. Back to the no, question, no, right? No, no, not at his peak. No, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't think that's what you were saying. Um, John Gibson at his peak is the best Ducks goalie. I'm going to say Hiller. What? But uh, Back to the question. That is your worst take. I found I finally found it. I finally found it after years of searching. Back to the question, where does Brzezgalov rank in terms of Ducks best goalies well, top, of all time? Top five is in any order. This is not an order, by the way. Bear, Gibson, Jaguar, Hiller, Frederick Anderson, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd probably have Ryan Miller and then Ilya Brzezgalov. Yeah, I think Ryan Miller was just a good soldier and he was a really good backup for a couple years. Um, but let us not forget one Mikhail Stalinkov. You know what's let us, wild? Let us not forget. If Anthony Stolarz plays 26 games, he'll have played more games as a duck than Ilya Brzezgalov. That's crazy. I feel like the reason people have him so imprinted in their memory outside of the sound bites is that he did have a playoff run-ish uh, with the Ducks. He had a yeah. bunch of playoff games. I mean, he played 11 games in the 05-06 yeah. run, he was, and he played in five games in the cup run. He was unstoppable. During that that run in 05-06. I remember that. So, so good. I remember watching that as a kid and, and thinking this is a great goalie. And then Philly just gobbled him up. And I mean, well, he, was he, good in, he was good in Arizona also. He went to well, Phoenix, Phoenix at the time. Phoenix at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, uh, Connor doesn't want to let you uh, move on from that, saying that uh, Gibson was better than Hiller. But... I mean, like, Hiller was great, but... I just think now this is pure John Gibson disrespect. Like John Gibson at his peak is the Ducks' best goalie. Like it's it's just it's just crazy talk to say anything otherwise. He has I think he has the highest single season save percentage. He had a nine twenty six at age twenty four in seventeen eighteen on a bad Ducks team. Might I add? I mean that wasn't really a bad team yet, but it was just a very middling team. So no, it's Gibson over Hiller at, at a minimum. Like, uh, like Hill, Hiller's highest save percentage was a 924, and he never had a 920 in any other season with the Ducks. So I just, 
I mean, those duck teams were not as good as the ones that Gibson were. I mean, time. Sh- sure. Jonas Hiller had a 927 in his first season with the Ducks, but he only played and he only started 18 games. So. Fine. I'll give it to you. I'm looking at some of the numbers. Gibson, Gibson from seven, 16, 17 to 18, 19 was better than Hiller. Um, but Hiller, Hiller in 10, 11 and 08, 09 was I, I just think stupid. Gibson's peak. I think we can kind of lump in those three seasons was just spectacular. Fair, fair. I just Fair. can't believe the level of disrespect that's going Fair. around right now. Um, all right. So we've got some more questions. I should find them. But uh, Ray Gonzalez in our YouTube chat said, uh, let's see. I believe we'll have a 1 in 10 chance at Bedard, but uh, not the best. Uh, can you go over some of the backup play- plan players? I'm not too familiar on this draft, but beyond Bedard. So if the Ducks end up with the the worst record slash the best odds, at worst, they can drop to third. And they have a 25% chance yes, uh, of getting first overall. The way it works is uh, the pick odds are... So currently, the Ducks are have the third best odds. So they have an 11.5% chance of first overall pick or second overall pick. They have a 7.4% chance of getting the third overall pick. A 40.7% chance of the fourth overall pick. And a 28.8% chance of the fifth overall pick. I'm and just so, reading some of these comments, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, and Victor so, Foss? No. <laughs> good reference, though. Very good reference. Um, but, so, Fantilli, Mitchkov are, are the two other... Leo Carlson. Leo Carlson. Those are basically the big four of this draft. And those aren't, like, consolation prizes either. No. I mean, the issue with Mitchkov is that we just don't know when he's going to play in North America. But Adam Fantilli looked great at the World Junior. So did Leo Carlson different players you know i mean neither of them are, are close to a connor bedard in the sense of a generational talent but both are very very good players and i mean are and infantilly on this team would be really fun although yeah. now now there's kind of this push for saying the ducks need wingers so pretty, just draft pretty, the best player pretty much to answer the question most of the guys in those four would have gone first overall in the last couple of drafts yeah. That, that's basically what's consistently being said here of how good the top end of this draft is, is that if you end up with the top four pick, you're a name with a guy that would have gone first overall in many of the past drafts. And so, so someone, so hardcore luchador in our chat is saying Jaguar at his peak over Gibson. And if you factor in playoffs, if you factor in playoffs, there's I an think argument. You have a very good case because the year that he won the con Smythe, he put up a nine twenty. I will say though, and now this this may upset some folks, but or no, actually not a nine twenty. Uh, I'll have to double check his process. But that, like, save percentages were higher back then, uh, or average save percentage was pretty high in those seasons. Yeah, during trap time. Yeah, if you though, if you factor in the playoffs that year, let's see, can I finally get it? I mean, oh yeah. seven, oh eight, he was he really a, really he, good. Nine twenty two save. He had a nine forty five. Yeah, year that the Ducks went to the final in oh three. So if you factor that in and you look at the season he had that year, which was a 920, like that is a that is a tremendous season and maybe deserving of the best peak. But I would still push back and say that Gibson had th- basically three of those seasons minus the playoffs. Yeah. In a row. Yep. So, no, it's still John Gibson to me, although a yep. very deserving second place for Yep, I think it's a good honorable mention there. Uh, Matthew Cable said, uh, with the plethora, and sorry if I mispronounce your name, with the plethora of current centers on the Ducks, or on the roster with Gauthier, and presumably another center in this upcoming draft, there's no way that Lundestrom is a Duck for much longer, right? 
Wait, what? Sh- shots are just coming at Isaac Lundstrom as he's hurt. What has what has Isaac Lundstrom done to to catch strays here? I mean, to be fair, we we have been very critical of him, and I mean he hasn't I, he hasn't been good this season. He has not been good, and there's not. I mean, even currently, right? He's a fourth line center. If the Ducks draft Connor Bedard, let's just say, or Adam Fantilli, let's just stick to these centers, these two centers, uh, then it does become a little tricky. Because, I mean, especially if it's Bedard and he makes the jump right away, you now have Strom, Zegris, McTavish, Bedard. Lundestrom is still in tow. I I figure Grant will be gone by then. I mean, Carrick maybe moves to wing, but you've got a lot of centers. So I, I don't think that they'll they'll trade Isaac Lundestrom. They'll just use him in his proper role, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, let's see this. Uh, Fat Geralt said, does Gibson ever get his number retired? Or Jaguar, well, sorry, not Gibson, Jaguar. Well, this is a controversial topic. We're just hitting all the controversial notes today. I think that there is a strong case for Jaguar having his number retired. I mean, he played nine years in Anaheim, played in 447 games. Uh, he was the starting goalie of the, the only cup-winning team in franchise history. He has the most memorable and impressive single uh, playoff run by a goaltender in franchise history. He had two consecutive seasons. He has three seasons of 920 or higher save percentage. He had some down years. I mean, they weren't all perfect. A little bit up and down in terms of his overall numbers year to year. But I don't know. Like, I think it's there's a case. There, there's absolutely a case. So. So. If and, now, the, and now the pushback. If the standard for the Ducks is Scott Niedermeyer gets his jersey retired, then J.S. Shiger should have his jersey oh, retired. by a landslide. Having said that, my personal opinion is that neither of them should be retired. It should be reserved for the all-time greats in the franchise, which is Solani. As of right now, Solani, Korea, gets off Perry. And that's kind of it right now. Having said that, if you are going to retire Scott Niedermeyer's number, you should retire J.S. Shiger's number. Here's another thing I'll add. And now this is not purely logical, but I think it's worth noting that I think, look, goalies are kind of a world apart from skaters. And I think that you kind of got to recognize the, the, the most decorated goalie in franchise history, right? Like, I think that that's worth something. No. Like every franchise has their great goalie's number retired. I think Gibson has a better chance of that happening than Jaguar. Well, he's got to win a Stanley Cup. He he's got to he's got to get back into the playoffs. He's got to he? do something. Does he? I think so. I mean, right? If if John Gibson retired, let's say two years, like let's say John Gibson played nine years with Anaheim. Where what is he at now? He's at. Oh, he's actually already at 10 years. So if John Gibson retired today, he would actually have already played more seasons than Jaguar did in Anaheim. He's not getting his number retired. Like, there's no way. There's no way. You can't be the... the, the I mean, and this is no, like... This is not to say that this is Gibson's fault, but you can't be the starting goalie of a terrible team four years in a row, five years in a row, and, and have your number retired. Like, his career is a very stark kind of half and half where the first half was great interesting as connor points out that no no one has worn 35 since shiger left the ducks Mm. it's been a while though yeah i mean i i think that 
like personally, I think that Jaguar has a very strong case. I think that the, the, the stronger case against him is just that he didn't really play that many seasons with the Ducks, mm-hmm. all things considered. But you have Scott Niedermeyer up there, which is a good way to negate that. Well, if Scott Niedermeyer, if like, I think that that's kind of the, 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 the tiebreaker is that if, if Scott Niedermeyer is up there, then Jaguar has to be, mm-hmm. has to be, mm-hmm. not even an option. Yep. If I had my way, neither would be, though. Mm, and I think that's harsh to Jaguar. Uh, let's end with this. Uh, Curtis brings up this fact in our YouTube chat. Sam Steele scored oh. his seventh goal of the season. That's right. Oh, crap. We had one other one that I need to get to in our Twitch chat also. Sorry. I, I see it. Um, but yeah, Sam Ske- Steele, seven goals. First time he's hit seven goals in an NHL season. Yeah. He would like his flowers. Our, uh, our, our long national nightmare is over. Yeah. Sam Steele has scored more than six goals in a season. Congratulations. I mean, good for him. Remember good when for him. he had a hat trick in a season? Yeah, remember when all three of those goals went off his ass, foot, or leg? I, I think this goal, I think I saw someone say this goal just went off of him somehow. It did. It went off his, it actually went off his thigh. It was a point how, shot. How apropos. Good for him, though. I mean, yeah. I, I would love to score an NHL goal off my, my body instead yeah. of a stick. Like, I you would know, take it. If, if you're out there with a Kaprizov, just put yourself out there. You, you've got a little bit of luck on your side with it bouncing off. You just, just let him keep, shoot it Just off go to the net and keep your stick down. Yeah. Uh, Aska J32 said on the going topic, what is a reasonable timetable for Lucas Dossel to be a fixture on, uh, the ducks roster? He's had two shutouts in three games since being sent down. And do we think he is eventually the star long run or Gibson always block him? I think he's going to be the backup next season. I agree. And I, the question of whether he'll ever be the starter is, I don't think it's Gibson that will block him. It's a tricky one. I just don't know how long. Like, I don't know what Gibson's future is with the team because Gibson still has four years with the Ducks. Yeah, I'm going to go out on this limb. I don't think that Gibson is going to be the roadblock for Dostal. I think that if there is a reason he's not the number one guy on this team. It's his own it, performance. and Or it's the improve. It's a guy like Callie Klang. Because yeah. I think the one thing with the Lucas Dostal is a lot of people think he's going to be really good, but a lot of people kind of see him maybe as a backup long term we still don't know what he is in a full season in the nhl and so i think it may be a situation where dostal is a very good backup and maybe a cali clang is a guy that becomes the starter for this team long term well i i just like do you think gibson who who will gibson sign his next contract with in 2020 i don't think it's the ducks i don't think it's the ducks either and so i think that that's maybe where dostal becomes the starter because that's four years from now and by then, Dostal, he has what? He has, he's actually an RFA this summer. So, is John Gibson a duck next season? Has this season helped the situation, the perceived situation? No. I think you it's ha- made and, it and, worse. And you now have Eric Stevens publicly saying the duck should trade him. Yeah, which Eric Stevens is plugged into what the franchise is thinking. And that that's his opinion, but there's... Yes. There's probably some bias. He doesn't there. say incendiary things like that, just, you know, with without any kind of intel whatsoever. I still don't think that the, that doesn't mean that that's what the Ducks are thinking right now, but I he's good at reading tea leaves. The thing with Gibson, though, is that we all heard about how he was unhappy with the situation. He wants to win this and that. And here we are. The, another lost season. Watch. Bedard watch. It, it's just. He can't be happy with how things have gone. So, yeah. 
Alright, so let's end with this one. M. Young said, question. Do you guys think we see either one of Thrun or Lacombe on the Ducks before the season ends? Assuming they both sign. And then also with Zellweger and Minjukov, possibly for next year. How do you guys see the Ducks D Corps next year with all the guys coming up the pipeline? So let's start with that. Do you think Thrun or Lacombe, assuming they sign, play play with the Ducks this season? Sure. Interesting. I don't actually. I just, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on this. Yeah. And then next year's D Corps. Uh, well, we know, no, we, no we know, we know Fowler and Drysdale will be on that. Well, decor. supposedly Shattenkirk will be on this team oh. next season. <laughs> would, would you like to address that per, per credible sources? Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to address it. Okay. I think Shattenkirk's gone. So no Klingberg, no Shattenkirk. No Maybe Kulikov. Do you think Kulikov no, is back? No, I don't on think so. On a short deal? I don't think so. So no Kulikov. Akinainen will be back. Bolier is gone. Man, <laughs> Is Benoit is Benoit's contract up? Uh, he is a RFA, so he'll okay. probably be back. Maybe. And I think he's back. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what this pushback is. He hasn't Col- been good. I think they think he's good. I don't know if they qualify him. Okay. Well, then Colton White. Well, here's the thing. If they don't qualify Benoit, if they get rid of these four UFAs, that they means have two guys. That means basically. you have Fowler and Vakaninen. And so, Drysdale, and Drysdale. So that does open the door for for um, for Lacombe and Thrun, and I do think Zellweger makes the jump. Zellweger and Minchukov. I think both of them are on the team. <laughs> wow, bold. Okay. okay, well there you nah, go. Actually, no, I'll back off that. Zellweger makes it. Minchukov's in the AHL. Yeah, he's I think AHL that, eligible. I, he's still he still needs I think, some more seasoning. I think Hellison makes the jump next year. Yeah. Like I, I think there's a lot of guys that start making the jumps, and this decor is going to be completely revamped. So I, th- I think that that's what's going to turn the corner for this team outside of drafting Connor Bedard is just having a blue line that isn't a tire fire. Yep. So. Yep. So I think that's going to it's going to be very interesting though because this year it's the only young guy on the blue line was Drysdale. Yeah, I'm still. I was thinking about that today. I was just still so disappointed he's not playing. Because that was something I was really looking forward to was just how will he progress, mm-hmm. and we just won't we won't know for well especially because he was getting looks on the number one power play before he got hurt and then it became Fowler. Yeah, it's it's so. sad, but he'll be back. And for some reason, our good friend Lewis is pushing this narrative that Fowler's going to get traded, even though he has a four team no trade list or four team yes list. I think Lewis traded Fowler to every single team in the <laughs> I NHL. I think he's by now. done a Photoshop in our Discord of Fowler in a jersey of every team. Yeah, Fowler's not go- just so everyone knows. Fowler has a four team trade list. That's his yeah. no trade clause. Yeah. So he he gives them a, a, a list of four teams he would accept a trade to. Like he is not going anywhere unless he wants to be gone. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Connor put in our, our Twitch chat. Fowler, Drysdale, Zellweger, Hellison, Lacombe, White. Sure. Yeah. Michael B. asking our, our YouTube, sorry, and then we'll get out of here. Isn't there a small chance uh, Drysdale returns at the end of the year? He could. Yes, but Guy Bear has kind of been talking about Drysdale <laughs> being done for the season. Yeah. Maybe Gia... it's a slip of the tongue, but maybe <laughs> it's not. I'm sure Guy Bear knows things. Yeah, so... Also, uh, is it is it me or is is uh is JB Drysdale looking a little thick, looking a little thick in in street clothes? I think he's he's packing on some muscle or or something. What? He looks bigger than he did last season. Where? Just just look at pictures of him that are popping up on on the internet. 
Um, I guess this the Minchukov trade is nine picks with multiple seconds and thirds. Am I the only one who just doesn't care about junior trades? I just think it's hilarious. It's just I don't funny care how that like much. it's funny how like absurd they are. That that's basically it. Is just like how many? But I mean, I get it. Like it's the ultimate of just like say screw it, let's go for it. The sixty sevens are actually my OHL team. Little well, known fact. Go. I like their Why? jerseys. Oh, the cool barbershop poles? Yeah, they're reminiscent of the original Senators back in, like, 1910. Okay. Yeah, um, some of us like history. Yeah. Some of us respect history. And that's why I have the number 35 hanging in the Honda Center rafters. And you wow. don't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. just, just going there. Okay. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for us. We said we were going to do an hour, and it's almost an yeah. hour and a half. I We were getting close to, like, an hour, and I just, I just embraced the fact that we were not going to... Stay below an hour. Should should we just fully go chaos and should I just throw this out there from our Discord? Sure. I put this in our Discord last night. Oh. Our corn dogs slept on. They're really not corn like corn dogs are fine, but hot dogs are so much better. Corn so dogs much better. are better than hot dogs. <laughs> Maybe that's your worst take. I'm I'm now torn on that and whatever it was the last thing I said was your worst take. <laughs> who, who knows? You have a lot of mine. Corn uh, dogs are corn dogs are fine. Like I have nothing against co- corn dogs. I just don't think that they're anything special. Like a great corn dog. What is a great corn dog? Nobody knows because they're all pretty much the same. That's not a, true. A great hot dog though. Not every corn dog is the same. What are you talking about? Uh, okay, please enlighten me on the differences between corn dogs. Have they're you all, ever? They're all essentially the same. Have you gotten a hot dog on a stick? Have you gone and gotten one at Disneyland? Have you gotten a wiener? Yeah, but one? but it's still fundamentally the same thing. Like you you can't change the thing. You can't add condiments. You can't add. Wait, wait. You can't add, you can't dip it in ketchup or dip it in mustard. You can't add condiments. Yeah, well, th- but that's different. The actual thing is the same. Like a hot dog, you can put peppers, onions. You can load it up, and then it fundamentally becomes something different than just a plain hot dog. Just dipping the thing in ketchup or mustard just doesn't change anything. That's all that a typical hot dog is, is that you put ketchup and mustard on it. Look, you haven't had you haven't explored the hot dog world enough. You haven't you haven't you haven't had enough hot dogs. That's all I'm saying. There there is a there is a fantastic world of gourmet hot dogs just waiting for you. Waiting to embrace you. Have you, you ever had a Disneyland corn dog? Yes, they're fine. They're whatever. They're so good. Like they're good. They're good. I like this is the thing. I like corn dogs and I sure. don't want I don't want to give the impression that I don't. I just to say that they're better than hot dogs is possibly your worst take. They're better than hot dogs. Although, here's the bold take. Hot dog on a stick corn dogs are are not as good as others. There are plenty of others that are a lot better. Yeah, that's this is what Geralt is saying in our chat. You can spice up a hot dog with fun toppings, whereas a corn dog is in corn dog. Also, there are such things also, as Korean corn dogs that have a shit ton of toppings on them. Also, eating a corn dog that's been like dipped in whatever—it's just not really like a clean experience. What? And yes, you can have. Wait, a wait, ho- wait, 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 wait. What? When your corn dog is like just dripping and drenched with ketchup. And you have to like. What what are you doing with your corn dogs where it's dripping? When you're dipping it in the thing, it's getting everywhere. (laughs) When you dip dip french fries in ketchup, is it spilling everywhere? Also, I want to say this because I feel like. (laughs) You got caught. I'm pivoting away from this. (laughs) You got caught because that was a bad one. I want to say this 
because I don't think people realize this enough, and no one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear this. But In-N-Out fries are objectively <laughs> and legitimately good. There's no caveats. Yeah, they, no ifs, yeah, they are. They're yeah, just they are. good. That's it. That's that's my take. They they are slept on. They are. I actually very much agree with you on that. I think In-N-Out fries are are get a hard uh, get a harsh uh, reputation from some people. They're just they're just great. They're great. People want to have them be super processed, be McDonald's style fries. You can yeah. just appreciate fries for tasting different. I actually had McDonald's recently because I was on a road trip, and I had the fries, and they're actually not that. They're like after having so many In-N-Out fries, I've kind of come to realize that In-N-Out fries, or sorry, McDonald's fries, don't even really taste like fries because they're just so, they, there's like barely any potato in them. They're Fat so Geralt, thin. though with it with a good take. Del Taco fries greater than In-N-Out fries. That is a great take. I'm just not gonna grace that with the. Response. Have you ever had a Del Taco? Had Del Taco fries? Yes, they're just whatever. They're so whatever. <sighs> I can't believe you. Okay, that's enough. Is that gonna do it? I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at our food takes to see if there's anything else of note that's, oh, ha- that, that's happened within the past week, and I don't really uh, think so at all. Um. Yeah, I mean, Lou's had some garbage takes, which is normal, but yeah. We can't, we can't give those a platform. We just can't. <laughs> also, seaweed is really good. I don't know why you've been on this anti-seaweed kick. Wait, what? In our chat, you said seaweed salad is terrible. When did I say it's terrible? You said it gets stuck in your teeth. When did I say it's terrible? I mean, that's, I think, what you were insinuating. I legitimately said I got some at Costco and I ate it and it was so delicious. Mm, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't Felix know. Felix is just misrepresenting my own opinions that I put. I just don't know. And I want to know. That's the thing. I want to know. You're not Felix giving me a chance. Felix is trying to get me, uh, get me canceled by, uh, by big uh, seaweed over here. Yeah, I'm looking for bad takes in our chat, and I'm not. Shockingly, there there have not been very many. People I was have hoping been kinda like People have been kind of friendly about... Lou's been posting his worst takes in our hockey talk, though, to be fair. Yeah, he's just been on a tear, and I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) Oh, man. I I, I beg – sorry, we'll end on this. I beg, Connor, to you – or for you to plead to Chris, and Chris, if you're listening to this, and Jake, if you're listening to this, just give Lou, like, 30 minutes. (laughs) I know you guys try to limit him to, like, one bad take an episode to go at. (laughs) Just give Lou like 30, 45 minutes. Just let him go. Just let him get it all out of his system. Just let him go for my own enjoyment. Yeah. I, I think the people deserve that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's it. I feel like I had something on my mind, but it's it slipped away. Yeah, it so. happens. It happens. It will come back to you, and then you'll tweet about it and get canceled. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't Wish- know why I took it that far, but. Wishing ill upon a friend. That's that's always nice. Okay. Well, we should probably get out of here. Thank you for listening, everyone. It's been a great show. Uh, if you want to help us keep this thing going and rocking and rolling and frolicking in 2023, there's a few easy ways for you to do that. The number one way, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond. For a dollar a month, you can join our patrons only server, Discord server. It's so much fun. We've been talking about it this entire show. It feels like you get to join a great community of diehard Ducks fans. You get to chat with people in-game. You get to chat people 
uh, chat with people about Ducks news. It's just the best. And then for $5 a month, you also, on top of the server, get access to two bonus episodes a month. We actually did three last month, and uh, we have a recent NHL midseason awards episode that you can check out. So that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, search Crash the Pond. Leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a couple minutes at most, uh, but it does help us out quite a bit. We're also on Spotify. Leave us a rating there. And also check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, make sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that uh, you don't miss any of the action. Also, check out the Sporting Tribune, sportingtribune.com. We've Should actually got some big things coming our coming the way on that website. Can we week. can we spill the beans on that? Nah, no, 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 no. No, we don't want to jinx it. Okay. Nope. But big things happening, really exciting stuff. I have an article going up sometime this week. Gonna 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 go through and try not to give everyone on the ducks an F outside of like three players. It's gonna be hard. Gonna do some midseason player grades. Uh, check us out on Twitter, uh, at Crash the Pond, at Reindeer Games91 is Jake, and at Felix underscore Sicard. That will do it for our show tonight. Hope everyone has a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday. Have a good one. Bye.